There are definitely some life phases and transitions in a woman's life where it can really help us to pay some special attention to our nutrition. It can help with energy levels, our overall health, and it can also help to heal and even contribute towards reducing certain symptoms, for example, at menopause. So today, along with my very special guest, I'm going to be diving into a couple in particular, my real passion areas of the early postnatal period and the perimenopause. We're going to combine some chat about what we need to be on the lookout for, along with a couple of really practical areas to get started with as well. Welcome to the Busy Woman's Guide to Fitness and Wellness podcast, bringing you a weekly dose of fitness and wellness inspiration as we explore together how to get motivated and create a realistic and achievable way to stay active within a busy life while stepping away from guilt and the diet roller coaster for good. Together, we'll unpack some of the myths and unhelpful messages from the traditional fitness and diet industry so that you can find a better, kinder, more helpful way to fit exercise and wellness strategies into your life, improve your confidence and feel amazing. I'm your host, women's fitness and wellbeing coach, Alex Hubble, founder of ChickFit, mum of two, and a firm believer that exercise and eating well can go hand in hand with chocolate, wine, and lots of rest to create a happy life. You can find out more about me at chickfit.co.uk or head to my social media channels at Alex Chickfit. Welcome back and thank you for joining me again this week. A huge shout out to you if you've been tuning in for a while. And of course, a huge welcome if this is the first time you've listened in. Either way, I know you're going to love today's episode because I'm diving into nutrition for the big life phases and transitions. And I'm joined today by the wonderful Caroline Hill. She runs her very own business, Caroline Hill Nutrition, using all of her amazing experience as a dietitian to help women to make positive dietary change. In turn, helping them to have better health and more energy. Now, she is particularly passionate about those key life phases and transitions where nutrition can really have a bigger impact on both our gut health and our overall health. And as you know, I'm a bit of a geek about all things women and women's health, right from pregnancy and postnatal through to motherhood and into the period to postmenopause transition. So we are in perfect synergy on this one. And today I'm going to be picking Caroline's brains on a couple of those key life phases and how good nutrition and positive dietary changes can have a real impact on both our symptoms and how we really feel. So welcome to the podcast, Caroline. Lovely to have you. Thank you very much for having me, Alex. I'm really pleased to be here. Awesome. Now, before we dive into this um, and get into those key dietary changes, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about exactly what you do and who you work with. Yeah. So I'm a freelance dietitian and have been qualified over 15 years. Started my career in the NHS and then four years ago started my own business. Um, and I have kind of different streams into my business, but one of which is working with individual clients virtually. So I don't see anyone face to face apart from over lovely Zoom. And I primarily support people with either gut health issues or women's health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes both of those conditions can overlap. And usually people come to me when they're usually at the end of their tether, they've tried everything themselves, they've done a bit of Googling, tried what their friends have recommended, and they're really struggling with making change that lasts. And that's what I'm really passionate about is supporting clients to be able to make really simple changes, but something that can stick and last, so that it can try and break some of these cycles that exist, particularly around kind of nutrition and dieting. But also I'm a real realist as well. So it's about making sure that people 
people understand they don't have to be perfect 100% of the time. If that was the case, there would be no health issues, but that's not the case. Life gets in the way and it's fine, but it's learning how to deal with those ups and downs within life. And obviously for females, that can be slightly challenging at times, particularly as we adjust to things like parenting um, and motherhood. And then also obviously in later years when we kind of enter into the menopause. Yeah. And I, you know, I think this is one of those episodes that could, we could easily go on for ages and ages and ages about all of the different transitions and phases and challenges that we go through. But um, there's a couple that I particularly want to talk about today, partly because they're bigger obsessions of mine. And that is that, that, early postnatal period, and then the perimenopause. So let's start with those new mums. So it's safe to say that obviously good nutrition, really, really helpful in that healing process post-birth. But what are the main things that good nutrition can really help new mums with at that stage? So there's two kind of key themes that can be really important during that kind of immediate postnatal stage. And um, first one is about fueling the body, mm-hmm. fueling the body in a manner that is not detrimental to your energy levels. Mm-hmm. So it's quite easy because we're tired in the ne- in the early newborn stages. Our sleep might be out of kilter. We don't necessarily make the best choices. So it can be things like cakes and biscuits, anything that's quick and easy to grab. Mm-hmm. And those foods taste great, but what they do is spike our blood sugar levels, and then half an hour later they cause a plummet, and the cycle starts all over again. So what it's what's really important is trying to choose foods that are not going to have those sudden spikes in blood sugar levels they're going to sustain your energy levels just for that little bit longer Mm. to prevent those fluctuations and hopefully then keep you a little bit more sane during those periods where it can be a little bit more challenging because you're you're recovering maybe from birth you're maybe recovering from having a, a section and also you're adjusting to motherhood whether it's for a first time or a mum of multiple offspring so yeah energy levels are really important and then coupled with that is also kind of fueling your body to help it heal Mm. so this is largely where protein can play a role so it's not about eating really high protein containing foods it's just making sure that you're not excluding any particular food groups from what you're consuming in your diet that will mean then that you're nourishing your body with all of the right types of nutrients to either fuel your energy levels or provide a source of protein to help with maybe if you have had like surgery, help your wounds heal um, and also keep your muscles nice and strong as well. Um, particularly if you are starting to be a bit more active and um, going out for walks with your newborn and things like that, that can all, also really help. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's definitely something that, you know, when I work particularly with new mums who, like you say, have had a C-section or have got a diastasis, uh, tummy separation, that's another one where, you know, we need to kind of rebuild, you know, with the diastasis, particularly rebuild the collagen and the strength of that collagen and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's always that idea of, you know, I always say to them, protein, every meal like you say you don't have to load exactly. up but it's just protein at every meal yeah and it's not necessarily about increasing huge amounts of your protein and it yeah. might just be making sure that you're having some protein so we talk about protein it's typically things like meat fish mm. um, but if you're not a meat eater and um, you can have things like um beans and pulses which are a really great source of, of protein so something like even like beans on toast can be a really great option not only because it fuels your body from an energy perspective but the protein in the beans will yeah. help them fuel your muscles and help with any repair as well so it yeah. can be really simple it doesn't have to be too complicated so you've already talked about um obviously that sh- 
that sugar roller coaster and the protein. Is there anything else that new mums should be particularly paying attention to with their nutrition at that point? So there's a couple of other watch outs, caffeine being one of them. Mm. With entering into motherhood, obviously your sleep becomes impacted upon and most people tend to use caffeine as a bit of a way to help get through those moments. Mm. The problem with caffeine is that it stays in your body for a long time. So it might help you to get through the day, but then it might not help you sleep later. Um, and if your sleep's already broken and compromised, adding caffeine into the mix can just make it a little bit more difficult. So you might have already been watching your caffeine intake whilst you were pregnant, because we know that that can be um, too much, can be detrimental to baby's development. And it is recommended that you try and kind of continue with that on postnatally, and particularly if you are breastfeeding as well. So it's not necessarily about being caffeine free. It's maybe being aware that having like a bit of a cutoff sometimes can be useful. So maybe not having no caffeine containing drinks after either 12 o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. And if you are fueling your, be- your body in a better way from a food perspective, you-, you shouldn't then be as reliant on the caffeine to get you through the day. And just to watch out, if you are thinking about trying to reduce your caffeine intake, try and avoid doing it overnight because you can get quite horrendous caffeine withdrawals, which is not very pleasant. So yeah, do it gradually and just swap out for non-caffeine containing drinks or your caffeine-free alternatives. Like there's quite a lot of nice decaf coffees and teas on the market now. And then things like fruit juice, no added sugar squash, even milk, which is a great source of protein, are all great then drinks to keep you hydrated because also hydration is really important, particularly if you are breastfeeding as well. And kind of talking a little bit about breastfeeding, your nutrient needs are increased whilst you're breastfeeding, your energy requirements increase, which is why most new mums who are breastfeeding find that they're not only really thirsty, but also really hungry. Your body is using a lot more of its energy to keep that milk supply going. So it's not necessarily about choosing better containing foods or anything like that necessarily during breastfeeding. It's just about making sure that you're nourishing your body regularly. So don't be afraid of snacking in between meals. Snacking sometimes can get a bit of a bad reputation, but actually if you're conscious about the types of snack that you have and make sure that they're not necessarily always full of sugar and fat. So things like even if it's just a yogurt and some fruit can be a really great snack to kind of provide that extra fuel, but also keep those energy levels nice and steady as well. Amazing. So I have been there twice myself. Um, I've got two kids a long time ago now, but <laughs> there you go. I still remember it. And, you know, I, for me in those early days when I was really sleep deprived and like you're almost kind of in shock a little bit, <laughs> your body's in shock. Yep. The idea of paying much attention to what you eat when you're just trying to keep a baby alive, it, it can be a bit of a stretch to put it mildly. So, you know, I remember sending my husband out and I was like, literally bring about anything with sugar in it. <laughs> And yeah. like made like biscuits because you just didn't have, you just don't have the energy to not do that, if that makes sense. Even though I knew it will obviously wasn't the best thing for my recovery. Yeah. So if you could give a new mom just a couple of ridiculously easy, easy, easy things to start with that are going to have an, a, you know, a great impact on their recovery, what would they be? So I would say when you're sitting down to feed your baby, make sure that you've also got either a snack or if it's lunchtime, your lunch already prepares and a drink so that you're eating at the same time, which sometimes can be a bit of a juggle. But actually what that prevents is then another half hour, hour later, you then going to try and find something to eat because that's when you'll then start Mm -hmm. to make the wrong choices because you're that ravenous Mm -hmm. that you're 
reaching into the cupboard and just getting what's there. Whereas if you actually kind of try and plan it as much as you can do around your newborn, it's there, it's accessible and that can really help. But it doesn't have to be really complicated. So, you know, we know that like fruits and vegetables, for example, are a really great way of nourishing our body because of all, all the vitamins and minerals that they provide and obviously fruit can be a great snack but sometimes you just don't want a piece of fruit you are mm. craving the chocolates and the cakes and the biscuits for example so it could be something like making a quick smoothie and you could make that first thing in the morning maybe if you if your um, partner's still at home and you're already up make it whilst they're looking after baby before they head out to work and then you can just put that in the fridge and actually then something like a milk a homemade smoothie or milkshake can keep you going throughout the day and you can add in things like peanut butter which will add a little bit more protein in and then some fruits or vegetables will add extra vitamins and minerals in as well but I'm a real big believer about batch cooking wherever possible because then when you do have the days that are really really tough and it's been really hard and you feel like you've just had baby constantly attached to you and you've not had a second to yourself at the end of the day all you can do is get some food out of the freezer whack it in the microwave and blast it and then it's ready to eat. And then at least you know you've nourished your body in the right way. And then there's no, you're removing then any of that guilt that can sometimes start to creep in with, oh, I've not been able to cook today. Should we just get another takeaway? And that's fine. But when it becomes a routine habit, sometimes you can start to feel really guilty about it. And it's about trying to remove any of that guilt where possible. So yeah, preparation where possible. And obviously looking for support as well. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. And that is so so true but equally don't beat yourself up when it doesn't go to pat that you know those cakes and biscuits are not going to ruin you it just means that they're not going to sustain you as, for as long yeah I actually um I, I don't know where I saw this a little while ago I saw this great idea like you say this this get support and this batch cooking thing kind of these things coming together where it was like suggested you team up with a couple of your mum friends and each person makes one dish like makes a massive curry or whatever yeah and then you share it between you. That's like, an amazing idea, out. isn't it? Yeah, amazing. Because then you're just making one thing, but you're getting other things in return, maybe trying different things that you wouldn't normally have. Exactly, and, yeah. Oh, that was a great idea. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd done that a few years ago. I, I, know, I wish I'd done that. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to make a really big leap here because we're going to move on now to um, my other obsession, which is <laughs> peri to postmenopause transition. Now, this for me is a time when we, we just can't get away with some of the stuff that we might have before so for example we may have got away with a not so ideal diet or a lack of exercise or self-care but that can really start to tell on us in you know as we get into our 40s and beyond so what are a couple of the things that we have to start paying a bit more attention to at this this time so during the kind of perimenopausal and kind of postmenopausal stage what's happening is your estrogen levels are obviously dropping and because of that that starts to have an impact on your metabolic rate so what it unfortunately tends to do is lower your metabolic rate, which means that it makes it harder for you to lose weight. Um, so going to your point of what's worked in the past suddenly doesn't seem to be working. It's because your body's changing. And one of the things that I think anyone who's passionate around kind of the menopause side of things is it's about educating people that that's going to happen because then you're forearmed and you can almost deal with it. Whereas if you don't know that's going to be the case, sometimes you go into it thinking, what, what's happening to my body? And you've got all these other symptoms, brain fog might be kicking in. You're suddenly starting to forget everything and you think, what is wrong with me? Yeah. But actually being forearmed can be 
a wonderful tool to help you help you feel better. Um, so yeah, your basal metabolic rate drops, which means it's harder to lose weight. And what you tend to find as females is that that weight tends to congregate around our hips and abdomen. So what I tend to recommend with a lot of my clients is because it is harder to lose weight, it's to focus less on what your scales are telling you that number, but actually use things like your waist and hip measurements. Mm. So I tend to find that a lot of clients will continue to track the weight because that's what they're used to. And they'll find that it's not necessarily shifting. It might lose pound here and there, but despite making changes, it's not really moving. But by measuring hip and waist circumference, they can really see a difference and they can Mm. start to notice that they might drop a dress size or that clothes start to feel a little bit better. So I always try and encourage clients to really kind of change their mindset around kind of how they view their nutrition and their body. And it's not just about weight. Mm. I think weight's useful because it's something that we can measure, but sometimes it can be an unhealthy distraction. The other changes that can occur that impact kind of from the nutrition perspective is that because of those drops in estrogen levels, that can have an impact on our bone health and also our heart health. So of all the nutrients that our requirements change as we get older, calcium is one that is of particular significance for people at perimenopausal or menopausal because your calcium requirements increase and that is to have a protective effect on your bones mm. because that of the drops in your estrogen levels. Most people... Um, will be able to get sufficient amounts from their diet, provided they're not excluding any particular huge food groups. Even if you're maybe vegetarian or following a plant-based diet, as long as you're choosing calcium-fortified alternatives, you can still get the calcium in from the diet. But if you are starting to exclude certain food groups for whatever reason, that's where you might need a calcium supplement just to top you up and to protect those those bones. And then coupled with that is also the importance of vitamin D. There's been a lot of talk more recently about vitamin D because actually we live in the Northern Hemisphere. We don't get much sunshine. Mm. And even when we do, it's very short-lived. So for the majority of people, particularly during the winter months, you need to be also taking a 10 microgram vitamin D supplement. It doesn't need to be anything high strength because your body just won't utilise it. But a 10 microgram one should be sufficient. And then the other area would be your heart health. So again, because of the changes in your hormone levels, you start to lose some of the cardioprotective effects of estrogen, which can then increase your risks of developing high cholesterol, increased blood pressure, for example. And we know that nutrition can play a really useful part in trying to manage and reduce your consequences of kind of unhealthy heart problems. So not adding salt to your cooking and using it in limited amounts because we know that salt can increase your blood pressure and a raised blood pressure can increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. Omega-3 is really beneficial for heart health as well because that helps to regulate your cholesterol levels. And again, cholesterol, if it becomes too high, can increase your risk of of cardiovascular problems. So omega-3 largely comes from oily fish. So if you're not eating an oily fish at least once or twice a week, then it is recommended that you take an omega-3 supplement to have that cardioprotective effect. There are a few non-fish sources of um, omega-3, so things like flax seeds and walnuts are a source, but unless you're eating them on a regular basis in sufficient quantities, you probably would benefit from a from a supplement. And then the Mediterranean diet, which um, some people may be familiar with, is probably the most effective diet that has been shown to have a beneficial effect on the heart. So Mediterranean diet is a diet that's high in healthy fats, your omega-3s and your unsaturated fats, so things like olive oils and avocados, for example, but is low 
in saturated fats or low in things like cakes and biscuits and anything that's heavily processed, processed meats, rich in fruits and vegetables, which are a great source of vitamins and minerals, and then also whole grain carbohydrates as well. So things like your brown rice and pasta, beans and pulses, all of those in combination can have a real protective effect on the heart, but also coupled with that can help prevent any unnecessary increases in your weight as well. Yeah. And if you were thinking, I suppose, as well about the more immediate stuff. So, I mean, you've talked a bit about the weight gain side of things, but, you know, the the more immediate symptoms some of us be experiencing, like things like night sweats and, you know, fatigue and, you know, brain fog and things like that. What are a couple of things that you can kind of do to to help with that? You know, what, what nutrition wise can you do that is going to maybe, you know, support you through those symptoms and, and improve those? So there's a couple of things. Um, there's a group of foods that are called phytoestrogens, which are essentially um, a source of plant estrogens. So as I mentioned during the perimenopause stage, your estrogen levels start to drop. And these plant estrogens that are found in phytoestrogen containing foods can help to counter effect some of those symptoms that you might be experiencing so the hot flushes the night sweats the brain fog so there's no exact recommendation in terms of the quantity that you should consume but what the advice is to consume these foods on a regular basis on a daily basis Um, and your largest kind of source of phytoestrogens is your soya containing foods so whether that's things like soya yogurts or something like soya beans, edamame beans, they're probably your biggest source of phytoestrogens, but also things like other fruits and vegetables can contain a a small amount. So any kind of plant-based food will be a source of phytoestrogens. Mm -hmm. And then kind of coupled with that as well, particularly things like brain fog can sometimes be attributed to fluctuations in your blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. Um, So as we mentioned kind of earlier on in the conversation, fueling your body and your blood sugar levels in a way that doesn't create really highs and really lows means that you're fueling your body with energy steadily and largely carbohydrate containing foods ultimately when they're broken down are broken down into glucose molecules and it's those glucose molecules that fuel the brain what our brain wants is a steady supply of glucose it doesn't want a sudden massive spike of it and then a sudden low um so by kind of fueling your body with the right types of carbohydrates, which are the more complex types, so your whole grain types, and um, fruits and vegetables, for example, means that they get broken down a lot more slowly, release that energy into your blood supply a bit more steadily. And that can sometimes help mitigate with some of the impact of, of brain fog as well. But yeah, really it's about kind of making sure that you're having a well-balanced diet with as much variety as possible. So plenty of colour on your plates wherever possible, because colour is what provides the nutrients. Typically foods that aren't very colourful, so your beige type foods are not going to be particularly high in the good nutrients that are going to help either fuel your body well or help you to manage your symptoms effectively. Um, And we also touched a little bit on caffeine earlier. Caffeine can also, for some people, be detrimental when they're trying to manage their menopause symptoms because of the fact that it can be anxiety provoking. So if you find that one of your symptoms is around how your brain's functioning and you're feeling a little bit more sensitive, it might be that actually just leaning off a little bit on the caffeine might help. And also that's where maybe something like HRT 
might be able to be use a useful toolkit as well as managing your nutrition as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know the the whole blood sugar thing, blood sugar management is just absolutely vital at this point. Is mm. so 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 many reasons. You know, I think if there was one thing that you were going to focus on, you know, for me, it would be that it would be managing blood sugar. And actually, as you said about caffeine. You know, I don't think a lot of people know this, but um, caffeine can spike your blood sugar as well. So even if you don't eat anything, you can drink caffeinated coffee first thing in the morning and it can really spike your blood sugar because obviously it encourages your body to release glucose into the bloodstream. Yeah. yeah. And typically as well, we tend to have caffeine as a milky type drink. We might add extras in that might have extra sugar in as well. So yeah, it can be quite a sudden load and impact. Neg- have a negative impact but it is very individual some people cannot be affected by it yeah. some people can and I think that's what I'm kind of really passionate about is about kind of educating and empowering women to understand what works for them yeah. so it's useful to know what your friends are maybe experiencing and maybe what's worked for them and what they've tried but actually it's about, it's about understanding your own body and listening to your own body and then responding accordingly and trying to avoid where possible kind of cutting out massive food groups because the reason those foods kind of exist is to to nourish our body in the right way but the way we are tempted by so many nice foods um, and yeah. don't necessarily give us much in terms of nutrition but they can satisfy us in other ways yeah and I, I think that's it isn't it you know I think in uh, you know at all stages of our lives we're very used to or we've become used to not listening to our bodies you know d- diet culture has got a lot to answer for with that and you know we don't we don't listen to hunger signals we don't listen to what's going on with our bodies after we've eaten certain foods and so when you get to this stage when actually you really need to start tuning in it'd be really hard to do that um, definitely yeah just get to grips with okay how does this particular thing make me feel am I hungry right now am I not hungry right now because those energy requirements change day to day as well you know you can't exactly yeah. boil it down to just well if you eat 1500 calories every day everything will be okay because some days that's okay and other days it really isn't as well yeah and it's really interesting actually that you touch on that point because I spend a lot of time with my clients actually not always talking about the nutrition side of things it's about everything else around that so like you say about listening to your hunger cues and also being kind to yourself like you know you hit the menopause kind of late 40s early 50s and that's a lifetime of habits you're not just going to suddenly change overnight just because your body's feeling slightly different so I spend a lot of time almost kind of getting clients to understand the psychology around change and actually why they need to maybe be a bit more mindful about their eating habits and planning out maybe their meals or looking back at the day and thinking what went well today or what what didn't go so well and not associating any guilt because mm. guilt should never be associated with what we're eating but if those guilt place guilt habits are already embedded it's about trying to break those down and sometimes it can be a little bit challenging but that's why as healthcare professionals we're here to kind of help support with that yeah um, and not just kind of be the food police and say you should not be eating that yeah, exactly. um, it's about being realistic and and understanding people's challenges and barriers yeah and I you know I think like I said at the start of this you know, I'm sure that we could you know easily do an hour-long episode because there's so you know there, there's so many elements of this to talk about and you know like like I always say to the people I work with you know and the people who are listening to this podcast right now like you're intelligent people you know what you should be eating and what you know what you should be eating less of and you know what comprises a healthy diet doesn't make it easy to do exactly you know it often the stuff that we've got going on much deeper that we're maybe not even aware of that is 
you know, maybe stopping us from making some of those changes. So, you know, that's why I always think like, what what are a couple of the very, very simplest things that we can do that we, you know, we talked about today that, you know, like I said, you know, concentrating a bit on blood sugar and reducing, you know, the amount of sugary foods you're having through the day. Like focus on that first, do that because yeah. that'll make a massive difference. And, you know, just finding those like really simple little things and not trying to kind of do it all and be perfect, but just... yeah. I'm a big believer of that. Set yourself really small, realistic goals mm. that are real quick wins because then you can give yourself a little pat on the back, mm. achieve that one, you move on to the next one. Sometimes as humans, we like to set really big, extravagant, kind of life-changing goals and we stick at them for a few weeks and then something happens, bam, and we're back to square one and we beat ourselves up and it takes us longer to get back on track. Baby steps in terms of setting goals. And you're going to be far more successful. Yeah, when you when you are successful, and you get those quick wins. It's a nice brush on the ego and spurs you on to make the next change. And it's a, it's always a tough one. Whenever I'm trying to persuade people to do that, it, you know, I can see that it going through their heads. Yeah, but I won't get the result I want in the next four weeks. <laughs> and it's yeah. like kind of say, look, it's going to take a bit longer than that. And you know, you you're going to have to slow it down, or else you end up on the same track that you know most of us have spent most of our lives, where we do brilliant for a while and then really rubbish for a while and then brilliant for. And it's, you know, yeah. it's trying to find a bit more, a bit more of a kind of even pace with it, really. It is. It's a lifestyle change and it's for for the long haul. It's mm. it's trying to find something that's sustainable, which is always, yeah. Having a bit of patience. Yes, exactly. <laughs> patience, patience, patience. All right. Before we finish then, Caroline, I'd love it if you could tell everybody a bit more about where they can find out about you. So people can head to my website, which is www.carolinehillnutrition.co.uk. I post weekly blog posts on there. So I'll go up and then have a read. And you can also sign up to my newsletter as well, which I'm at the moment trying to send out on a weekly basis. Um, I also am on all of the social media channels, but most active on Instagram. So I am Caroline Hill underscore nutrition and then on Facebook, Caroline Hill Nutrition. So yeah, head over and have a visit and uh, let me know what you think. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Really good chat. Now I've posted all of Caroline's info into the show notes. If you'd like to go and look her up, follow her on social media, etc. find out more about what she does and get some brilliant, brilliant advice. But safe to say that there are some specific transitions in our lives where it does really pay to make those positive dietary changes. It's not always easy and it does require a little bit of effort and frankly sometimes doing a few things we don't really want to do Um, and that's me included peeps because I'm working on this myself literally always but the payoff can be really really amazing so I know this will have given you an amazing place to get started good luck let me know what you think and for now I'm going to sign off and really look forward to seeing you again next time thank you so much for joining me today for the busy woman's guide to fitness and wellness Don't forget to come over and join me on my social media channels at AlexChickFit for plenty more inspiration.